Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, and we're here at Alcura Academy for Volume, which is our podcast which gets people to think, not sleep, one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so may peace be upon all of you. My name is Hanisa, uh, and I'm here. We are here today for an episode called Interfaith 101. Um, I have my guest speakers today here, so they will start by introducing themselves. Uh, and then we can get started. Hello. <laughs> um, so my name is Afra. I am currently pursuing my master's in Malay studies at NUS. I'm writing my thesis on a related topic, which is um, the management of religious harmony in Malaysia. And I've been involved in interfaith efforts since my undergraduate days, 2015. Hi, everyone. I am Darren. Uh, I'm an undergraduate from NUS myself, but I'm not as experienced as Afra here. I'm quite new, I guess, to this whole interfaith issue. Although I guess I, I would say that I am more interested in diversity. Uh, and of course, interfaith comes under that, but it's not limited to interfaith. I think that my, my interest in diversity issues are um, wider, I guess, than just interfaith. Though I think that interfaith is a very, very important part of diversity management. Okay, hi. Um, peace be upon everyone. My name is Juan. Um, I would say same like Darren. Uh, my interest is really on diversity issue, but I would say uh, interfaith uh, is where I began that diversity um, exploration. And I actually started uh, in my university years as well. I would say um, that was when Afra and I were kind of like in the same batch. So Afra was from the NUS interfaith back then. She's not from the same batch as you. Not the same batch, <laughs> but in terms of we were the leaders back then. Okay. Yeah, so she was from the NUS Interfaith and I was from the NUS uh, Muslim Society. And that's how I got into all this interfaith stuff. And now I'm the ambassador of Roses of Peace, which is uh, a youth movement, a ground-up movement uh, really for peace in Singapore uh, for the youth. Okay, so yep, that's all of uh, the speakers we have today, wonderful people. Um, for me, I started interfaith actually in university with Afra and Wan. So Wan and I were in the same year, Afra's a junior, but then she's like a senior in the interfaith, um, NUS interfaith. Yeah, um, so I was doing Islam Awareness Series, and then when you talk about Islam Awareness, you have to talk to other people. So we met other organizations. And then the more I sat in interface sessions, I felt like everyone just comes across really sincere and everyone has, um, I don't know, like when you talk about things that are so important to you, you build a kind of connection and bond that's hard to forget. Yeah, so that's how my interface journey started. And then um, I've moved, I guess, a bit into more uh, wider diversity, like what... Um, Anna mentioned, but we can talk about that later. Um, yes, and then uh, we can all start talking by talking about that beginning, that beginning of our interfaith journeys, uh, how we started noticing differences and being involved. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know where we're going to start though. Let's start with the most experienced then. Oh? <laughs> I'm just saying this so that I speak last. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I became actively or formally involved in my undergraduate years, but I would say that my exposure to interfaith started even when I was in primary school. So I went to a, um, a Methodist school, a Christian school for throughout, through primary and secondary school. And being in a Christian school, of course, we had 
um, devotion every morning. So the pastor or the principal or whoever would read for about five to ten minutes from the Bible. Um, and once a week, they would also have chapel. So I remember on my first day of school, they were giving out Bibles to all of the students and they did not force it upon the non-Christian students. So we did not have to take a Bible. And this was interesting to me because I've heard that in some other Christian schools, they will force everyone to take a Bible. Um, so that was one. Second was during devotion when they would read from the Bible, of course I noticed I recognized some names, certain names from the Bible, the characters, they were familiar to me and I thought I heard these as well when I was having my own classes, um, religious classes at home. So that was number two. Um, the third was during chapel, they would not force us to participate in chapel. Non-Christian students could either sit behind in the hall um, or at some point we would just go for a separate session on civics and moral education or something like that. So there was no sense of antagonism that I felt um, being in a Christian school, being a minority in a Christian school. Um, they were very open. And then that basic similarity between Christianity and Islam, that already stood out to me. And that's what led to my eventual participation in my later years in interfaith efforts. This was in Singapore, the Methodist school. Sounds familiar. Sounds like one of my friends went there as well. <laughs> yeah, so from Afra, um, she started, I, I would say interfaith journeys actually start quite early for all of us, even if we're not aware of it. Because, like, okay, when I went to primary school, we're in Singapore, right? Like, like, multi, multi, I was going to say multi-diverse, it makes no sense. Um, multi, Racial, multi-religious Singapore. So going to a neighborhood primary school was just, oh, that's my, my Chinese friend. That's my Malay friend. Oh, that's my Hindu friend. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's, it, if you don't seclude yourself to people who are always similar to you and you make an effort to talk to every classmate in class, which was me, um, then you really get to know what people are different about. And it yeah. just starts from there, but and the effort's important, yeah. Mm. Like actually taking the effort to mix. Mm. But what what about you, like Adam? Like, okay, I know you said start from the most senior, right? But then we're gonna go straight to the most junior. Right, okay. <laughs> because I I know you. I, I actually did. Uh, I met Adam in any uh Islam and a series. My my mm. final one. Yep. <laughs> I did like too many years of it, and then the final um, and my first. Yes, and and it was so strange because Adam was in our programs committee. He was a convert in our programs committee. He was a Chinese in our programs committee. In like a so he was such a a beacon of differences, difference. In yeah, a, in, like a sort of yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, in a committee that is usually so. What's that word? Uh, mono. <laughs> I don't think monolithic is the word, but so uniform or so similar. Yeah. So how is that? Uh, and I guess how yeah you can go. Yeah, I guess like um, talking about diversity. I mean, now that you've brought up this point, I guess it does make sense, lah. Like my my life is kind of diverse because I'm I'm a convert, right? So I grew up completely outside of the tradition. I had no links to this tradition for like a good twenty years of my life. And then in like the past three years, I've just been thrown into it and getting involved in uh, 
not just uh, Islam, but like maybe with other, like learning about other religions as well. Can I pause you and just add that? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll just add this to listeners. Adam actually lives like a few blocks away from me. Oh. So, and I think he's been living there for ages, right? Yeah. yeah like So like we years. literally grew up in the same neighborhood for a good 20 years at least. Yep. And he has had no contact, according to him. Yeah. To Islam, and I'm just yeah. like, what? <laughs> integration. <laughs> All the people I, listening I, I out there, the we need more integration. But I mean, yeah. So I think, like, it's interesting because my my perspective, even as a Muslim, is you know fundamentally shaped by my early years, where I am a complete stranger in that sense. Because not only was I not Muslim, I was I was atheist. I was like hardcore atheist. Um. So, I guess. Dealing with various worldviews, diff- in fact, fundamentally different worldviews, is kind of the story of my life, basically. Um, so I think that coming into school uh, made me learn one thing, which is that as much as I say that I have been exposed to different worldviews in terms of different religions or different, I guess, like if you can count atheism as just like a belief system or whatever, um, but even within a single uh, worldview like islam for example within the the muslim community there's also a huge uh, range of diversities and this is something that i realized because when i first started stepping into the muslim community it was through ms it was through nus and then when i left well i haven't left but when i interact with uh, muslims outside of nus i realized wait a minute this feels slightly different i mean we're all muslim but the the way that we approach things the way that we think about things they still differ quite a lot sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think like this is kind of my jump into diversity. And it started, I mean, just by virtue of the fact that I am a convert, I guess. When was this? This was about, I think, two, three years ago. So I've been, a, I'm, a, I'm a baby, basically. Like my, my, my iman is only like two or three years old. That's okay. Let's, let's hope it remains pure. As a baby, for as long as it takes. Yeah? <laughs> uh, good, good. I think that's the thing. Uh, interesting. He, he mentioned about Iman, right? I think us Muslims, every time we pray and in our final, what do you call that? The final act, we say, Ashadu Allah, Ilaha illallah, in a way to reinforce our Iman. Uh, it means our Iman is renewed every, every time we pray. So all of us are new, Darren, in a way. Yeah. All of, all of us are renewed as well so i think for me um yeah i i became an activist or rather like an advocate actively do interfaith since my time in university but like afra the entire existential crisis the entire questioning i don't have an existential <laughs> crisis <laughs> don't put me alone Afra. <laughs> like the questioning uh, the exposure yeah, and then from the exposure you question right so what's the difference between us kind of thing uh started much earlier but not so young in primary school, um, after puberty. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in secondary school, so wasn't puberty in uh, primary school? No. Uh, for a guy, we, oh, we okay, we had never a mind. A little bit later, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's for another topic. <laughs> so we're just basically reinforcing this thing, you know. Girls get mature way faster than guys. <laughs> guys, please remember this, yeah. If you're listening to this, <laughs> we can explore this in another podcast session. I think. Um, but so in secondary school, I remember that was the internet time. And I remember I came across this website criticizing Prophet Muhammad, like whyislam.org, I think. Um, I was shocked 
so crazy, like pedophile and everything like that. And but uh, that was like a punch in the face. But that made me search stuff. Um, I watch uh, a particular Christologist um, that I love. Uh, I think he also exp- uh, like you know kind of open up the the whole idea about how similar are we and how we got into the different uh, states that we are right now and that kind of thing. So I actually purchased my first personal Bible before I got my first personal Quran. There's always Quran in the house, in the living room. You know, we read that Quran when the Ustad came home. But uh, in terms of personal, the one that you bring every day, the one that you highlighted and stuff like that, I bought in a popular in Singapore because they don't sell Bible in, 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 in Malaysia, right? So I bought my Bible first before I got my, my personal Quran. Um, and yeah, that, that's the start of everything. And that was the age when I asked, hey, one, after all these readings, I mean, you got tired into it, right? Um, what do you believe, actually? I really ask myself, like, what, what do you believe, actually? Many God? No God? One God? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I would say I may be a born Muslim, but I chose to, to be a Muslim now. Yeah, after that episode. Actually, I think that's very important. Actually, you raised a pretty good point about um, the just the environments that we're in, and like whether because I mean it really struck me, you know, that you can't get like a Bible in Malaysia. That that really struck me, and that actually reminded me of my own personal experience quite early on into. In fact, just a few months before my conversion, and I attended because I mean I have a few like Christian. Um, relatives so they knew that i was converting so i kind of i became the rope in the tug of war it's either between Allah or god so, what <laughs> yeah. it's the same thing yeah i mean <laughs> i know i know but so basically um i had a few people try to bring me to church saying you know i mean i'm glad that you're converting so why not try converting to this instead um and i attended church just to to listen and just to um learn i guess about the christian tradition because through my own research i, I kind of found out that Islam and, and Christianity and Judaism, like they're, in, they're intimately related. But very sadly, when I attended this particular church, I'm not going to name it, but they invited a really, I mean, just blatantly Islamophobic speaker. And this event was was uh, titled, I think, uh, it was specifically you know, supposed to be something uh, examining Christianity and Islam. And I was actually quite happy because I was like, oh, great, you know, I get to see the links. I get to see... Um, the beautiful um, link between these two traditions. No, I was given a rude awakening. This happened in Singapore. This speaker is not Singaporean, but he came in and he started his event by saying, no recordings, please. If I uh, if word gets out of what I'm going to say here, I'm not going to be allowed back into Singapore. And I just thought to myself, wait a minute. So you know you shouldn't be doing this. And then he goes on to basically just talk about how Muslims are uh, hypocrites because they say that they worship only God but they, they might as well be worshipping um, the Prophet Muhammad and and I was so uncomfortable because I was sitting in this room filled with I think 20 other people at least and they were nodding along, they were laughing at points and I that was really something that struck me because I thought all this while wait what happened to you know regardless of race, religion <laughs> oh. and all this like oh no I just kind of went like, oh no, I never felt more unsafe in my country than sitting in that room with that kind of antagonistic uh, speech going around. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry I forgot to mention this earlier, but 
And thank you for reminding me that, you know, such sentiments really do exist. Some people, even till today, say, I don't think there's a need for interfaith. I don't think that we need to mix. I don't think that we need to learn about others. But, you know, look at what can happen in Singapore. We really can't take these things for granted sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I want to touch on a few points that you mentioned. I, I love one's point on being a born Muslim but choosing the faith for yourself because I I feel like that. I feel like I chose my faith for myself. But it was also in a time when um, it was in high school. So uh, I went to um, a school that had a lot of uh, non-Muslims. And then, um, so naturally my close friends were all non-Muslims. Um, I would say I had both a positive and a, a critical, uh, it was not critical, like uh, a time where there were a lot of criticisms thrown at me, but in actually a very positive way. And I don't know how to explain it, but that shaped a lot of uh, why I'm who I am today. So for instance, um, I, my best friend, um, I had a best friend who was a guy and he, he used to argue with me about Islam all the time. So he was, he was a self-proclaimed atheist because we were close friends. I knew he was agnostic, obviously, because he would tell me like, uh, you know, when he's really sad, he thinks he's praying to someone, but he doesn't know who. So that's just between him and me. But then like he would ask me stuff like, you know, Hanisa, if the pig wants you to eat it, why don't you eat it? <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, I, I, I was at a stage in my life where I was like, what in the world? But then, um, at the same time, uh, I don't know whether it's a difference between adults, um, discussions versus much younger. I felt like when I was at that age, we weren't against each other, but maybe also because I was really close with my friends. So when they said that kind of thing, we would argue, yes, we would argue seriously a lot. But then at the end of the day, we'll be like, um, we're still good friends. Yep, yep. Yeah, and even if you believe differently and you try to push me out of my faith, that's fine. <laughs> it's a good point. Like kids, I mean, I have nephews now. Um, they quarrel. Uh, but often after that, uh, the adults who are trying to defend them continue quarreling, but the kids uh, are fine. They are playing a game. So I think talking about interfaith, talking about differences... Um, I mean, as, as when we were younger, we were really, really curious, right? We just asked a lot of different kind of questions... Uh, but as we get older, we are more guarded. So every question seems like a threat. But one thing that I learned um, in interfaith is that, or in other diversity stuff, uh, often that fear or that, that threat is not coming from external. It's not coming from others who ask. It's coming from your own sense of security. This link back to the point of being a born Muslim uh, versus choosing Muslim because the idea of consciousness, right? I know this is what I choose and therefore you kind of have to defend it. You have to justify why you choose, you make a decision, right? Uh, versus uh, someone who was just born into it. I mean, I don't know, man. I was born in a Muslim family. If I was born in a Jew- Jewish family, maybe I'm a Jew. Maybe, right? Um, and so you, 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 you do not have that sense of um, I need to justify it or I need to be able to kind of speak uh, for my choice, that kind of thing. So every every time people ask you something, you feel uncomfortable because you, you, you've never been questioned like that before. You have been comfortable all time since you were born. Just nice, pray, fast, you get what I'm saying? So interfaith actually is important because 
it strengthened your faith. I mean, I've been here, I'm the junior, come on, if you compare with our seniors, uh, the real activists who have, who have been there for long. I mean, but I've not seen, or majority of the people in interfaith uh, scene uh, told me that their faith is actually strengthened by the interaction with other faith. Uh, very little of them say that, oh, you know what, I'm so convinced I'm going to convert with this into this. Very little. Most of us, uh, we feel that, oh, my faith is actually strengthened. And that's when you consciously choose, I'm going to be a Buddhist, I'm going to be a Christian, or for me, for our context, okay, I'm going to be a Muslim because I'm not going to go there, 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 and there. And that's essentially the kind of question I asked myself when I was in secondary school. Like, one, so what you believe? God, no God. I said, yeah, God. Okay, how many <laughs> Just <God?"> like that. <laughs> Just like that. I mean... Just like that. Uh, of course, this is after all the readings and you know all the videos, YouTube videos, and all the blogs. You just have to sit and say, "Okay, I'm I'm tired of this." Like, ask your heart. So, what are you believing in now? So, for me, that was my line of thought. Uh, yeah, it's 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 simple, but sometimes good things is in simple ways. Um, so I ask myself, God, no God? Yes, there is God. How many God? One, two, three, five, six, or one? Which one? Uh, Christianity. Uh, Jews um, or Muslims and then you know all that kind of thing and I say okay so far so good Muslim yeah <laughs> so that that's really uh, the journey and how I got into here and I would say I would say uh, this gave me a little bit of humi humility if you look at our scholars um, the dua the prayers are always to protect our iman uh, to bring us to Jannah and stuff like that there's never things like I will be there. I will be in Jannah. I will die Islam as a Muslim. You know that kind of thing? So for me, yes, I'm a Muslim, but so far so good. And it is a journey. We are not dead yet. So be careful in, in saying that, oh, I think this is the, like the truth and I will never change. Allah is the, is the, is the owner of your heart. If you, you are that arrogant, who knows one day, Anissa <laughs> no longer in, in hijab or something. <laughs> Okay, just kidding, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, okay. but I think the idea is the idea is that even um, this is yes that we shared how we began the journey, but it is still a journey. It is still a journey till the end. It is still a journey. That's why uh, back to the point that every time we pray, we reaffirm. Are you, do you still believe that God is one and Muhammad is His messenger? Yes. And then Assalamualaikum, Assalamualaikum. You get what I'm saying? So I think that is a good practice of of um, you know uh, reaffirming your faith every time you pray in, in this journey because it is still a journey. Yeah, it never ends. Let's let's dig in a bit deeper because we're talking a lot about like, um, it's a journey, yes, uh, it affirms you, yes, but how does that happen? Like, there, there's a, the number one myth I think a lot of people talk about is, oh, you know, if you get to know about that faith, you're going to be in, like, definitely that faith. If you go to this place and then your mind gets confused and then you're going to turn into that. And even for Adam's uh, situation, if you're in, if you are in a such uh, uncomfortable, antagonistic kind of environment, right? How do you get out there alive, not physically, but like, you know, alive emotionally, mentally and to decide that it affirms your faith instead of dividing it and stuff. I think just keeping an open mind, I guess, like that's that's really so important. I mean, if you go in and you expect to have your, you expect to be challenged, you expect to like be completely thrown out of your comfort zone and you're just like, nah, I don't want to listen to this, nah, 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 nah. Like it's, it's not going to work. And 
if you really think that speaking to someone who's different is gonna like you know change your your faith or change the the uh, the foundations of your own tradition i mean go and talk to the uncle at the coffee shop like you're gonna turn chinese is it <laughs> like you know you know i mean it's it's it sometimes really uh, confuses me because I didn't feel that way. I mean, even when, uh, and this was even before I was converting, right? When I attended this uh, event, and this all these people were saying things, I did not feel like, oh my god, you're right. Thank God I stopped before I I took the shahada. You know, I like this. That never occurred to me. In fact, what it did um, show me was, oh my god, this is, this is not Christianity. In fact, that was the that was what came to my mind. It wasn't, you know, oh my God, you're right. Islam is Islam is so wrong. It was, Alama, you you are standing for Christianity. Yeah? That was the response. I think that like we really need to be able to um, take a step back and not see things as just this is Christianity, this is Islam, this is uh, this is what the Muslims believe, and all of this come in one package. Stick all or leave it. But sometimes even someone, for example, this so-called pastor who could stand in front of us, you know, wearing his vestments and with that air of authority around him, he could act so unchristianly and so ungodly even. And I think that we should be able to, to see this. It, I mean, you don't need to be Christian or you don't need to be Muslim to see this. Just have, you know, your sense of humanity, I guess. That's, you know, if you have that, I don't think that you will be shaken in your in your faith. I mean, if somebody else comes up to you and tells you, you know, we should do all these great things. We should do charity. We should, you know, engage in uh, self-reflection. Um, and I don't tell you who this person is from. I don't, this person is not like claiming I'm, I'm here as a Buddhist telling you to do these things. I'm not here as a Christian to tell you these things. I'm just telling you, I think that we should do good deeds. I think that we should do charity. I think that we should, uh, you know, sometimes abstain from things that make us uh, indulge too much in the world. Did that shake your faith? No, right? I mean, it's who cares where this person is from? If this person is speaking some measure of truth, it will speak to your soul. It will speak to your spirit and you will know. And I mean, if it's if suddenly this person without a label attached to him, suddenly you attach another label and say, Oh, this guy's actually Christian. Like it's it's it doesn't happen that way, I think. I hope, at least, for many people. Yeah, I think you touched on an important point. Um about agency and also about the sources of these fear. So I, it's understandable that some people might feel this sense of fear going into dialogue. But at the same time, I do think a lot of this fear also originates from external sources. So you talk about this pastor who comes and gives this talk. Our religious leaders, our religious teachers, some of them are responsible for drilling this fear into us, right? And 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 we, because naturally we respect them as sources of knowledge or learned people, um, we don't want to, not trespass is not the right, we don't want to disobey what they say. If they say, you know, don't engage in interfaith dialogue, don't speak to anybody who is of a different faith of you, perhaps you want to obey that. But I think that at some point, um, when it comes to, engaging in matters of diversity and it's true we are living in a diverse world you can't run away from it um i think that we as individuals as human beings need to assert our our agency and at some point find a way to um 
go beyond this this authority and this fear and find it within yourself. Yes, it's understandable if you go into it with fear, but like like Adam said, go in with an open mind and and don't think too much about who's telling you what to do or what not to do. You know, it's it's very important that we go in with an open heart and an open mind. So that sense of agency and individuality, I think, is very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't agree more. Um, the idea of really that fear uh, when you when you come into the session, then when you decide to come into the section, uh, this this kind of interface session, for example, uh, and just bear in mind that most of the threats that you feel are not coming from uh, the people from other faith. Most most of them are coming from your yourself. Maybe the lack of your knowledge about your own faith, for example. So everything you see as as a threat, right? So I think keep your ego in check always always bear that in mind because that helps me as well the first time i engage in uh interface conversation with afra and team uh, i felt yeah flea bites everywhere um whenever people talk about islam although i didn't know much about about that but every time they uh complain about the religion or just ask questions that i do not know the answer to i just felt offended so that's just my ego right it's actually just my ego. It's nothing wrong with Islam, actually, and 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 of course, God or Islam doesn't need me. Fourteen hundred years doesn't need this guy to defend it, but I'm just defending my own ego. So a lot of this journey kind of thing that we have been talking about is really about you internalizing, self-reflecting um, on your own ego, your own ses- sense of uh, humility, sense of you no know, servanthood, sense of. Um, you know, like this creation kind of thing. Um, that's very important because at the end of the day, um, I just discussed this with my friend uh, last night that we were talking about hadith. Uh, I think I think it's a hadith talking that, you know, no one enters Jannah with even with a seat of ego. I mean, Muslims, uh, the hadith didn't, didn't say about Muslims or Buddhists or whatever, but if you have that ego. So I think my concern in interfaith is always to internalize. It's really nothing much about uh, others, how others see us, or how, how others would be comfortable with Islam, how others understand Islam, is for me, whether I understand them, and after the understanding, how am I going to respond to those kind of differences now? You know, how do, do am I going to see myself as superior than them now? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and again, about exploring other faith, faith uh, we always talk about Singapore as a most, uh, what do you call that, secured country, right? Safe country, right? But you will not be able to appreciate this until you go to India or you go to Indonesia. You go to other countries that are not safe. So if I challenge this, um, if we fellow Muslims say that, oh, my religion is the best, but you have not actually learned about others, then what makes you think so? Oh, what makes that's you think a so? big thing to challenge. Right? <laughs> and if you look at the Quran, I mean, for me, as just a student of it, it's an. In- I mean, a lot of faith is being talked about. The Quran talks about theological points, why we are different from some of the theological points of people of that time. The the, the Quran talks about the Jews. The Quran talks about the Christians. The, the Quran talks about the people of the past, right? So a lot of faith, other faith, are being discussed in in that in that particular holy book. So yeah, it, it just it just. Um, I mean, I just want to emphasize about the point. Uh, yeah, Afra mentioned about diversity. It is. You can't run away from diversity. It is the reality. We created you uh, into nations and tribes so that you know one another. So 
knowing one another, I think, is what we are kind of advocating. We are kind of saying the same tunes here. It's about knowing one another. And that, I think that's about, that's, that's all interfaith uh, journey is about, about that, knowing one another, one another, yeah. We, I feel like we can go into two directions from this part that you're saying. So knowing one another is a lot about getting to know people around us, which is essentially a lot about interfaith, right? But then there's also another uh, thread that I'm hearing that we are talking about. Like we're always saying um, it reaffirms our faith. But then um, it, I, I feel like it's because all, all of us here, the four of us, we're very self-aware. Like we, you can, we, we are aware of our thoughts. Even when you guys are sharing, I can hear that you are aware of the way you think, why you think, where you think, how you think. And a lot of people are just not. A lot of people are just. I would not. have to disagree with you. I mean, I'm very optimistic when it comes to <laughs> okay, okay, when it okay. comes to human. I think, <laughs> I think all of us, we think, mm. um, and that's why it's not so easy to change wait, our religion. Right? Okay, okay, wait. I'm not saying people don't think. Alright, I'm not saying people don't think. I'm just saying, how do you harness that reflectiveness? Because, okay, say if I'm going to be in an interface session, right, and I'm going to hear a lot of like people's voices, yeah, da, 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 yeah. da, and everybody's opinions, right? How, how do you guys find, uh, what do you do to make sure that you are aware of what you are thinking and then choosing for yourself? Like, what, what how, how does that happen? Yeah. Does that make I, sense? I, I, think, okay, okay. I think this goes back to... Oh. Yes. No, I think this goes back to Afra's point, actually. Like, exercising your agency and kind of like giving giving yourself that credit that you are an individual who is capable of thought. And I mean, I, I know that you said that you weren't saying that people don't think or anything. I think you're talking about like meta-awareness, right? Like being <laughs> aware meta of... Awareness? Like metacognition, <laughs> being aware of the way that you think. Right. right. It's not just about thinking itself, it's about thinking about thinking. And... But you're right to say that, you know, not everyone is entirely predisposed to this kind of thinking. Like, I know a lot of people who, they think, but, you know, they don't practice reflections. Because it's it's just not a, a thing that they have the time to, maybe, or they were just never exposed to. A lot, Yeah, the, the environment, environment, you know, like a lot of people, they develop this over time. Because it's a skill. I don't think that this is something that we are naturally inclined to as a baby, that we'll start thinking about. Think, thinking about thinking about milk. You know, we, don't, we don't do that the moment we're born. Like, it's a skill that requires training. And I think that training this skill is very, very important. But a prerequisite for that is acknowledging and giving yourself that due respect that I am capable of that. And I'm capable of discerning and I'm an individual. I mean, particularly if you're an adult. That you respect yourself enough to say, okay, I think that I can think about this. And like Afra said, you know, like we have... Um, figures of authority in our lives which we should respect we should definitely take their opinions into account but at the same time we cannot forget that they are not us they are removed from our individual reality and I think that my grandfather my grandfather is not Muslim by the way uh, he taught me a very important point just a few months ago He, I mean I, I'm not going to try to say the Hokkien but um, literally Okay, so literally, it means your father and mother, your parents, uh, gave birth to your body, but not your heart. So he explained it to me. He said, your parents can tell you whatever they want, but 
they cannot control the way that you think. They cannot control your individual reality. Of course, he didn't say it in these terms. Lah. But the point was just that at the end of the day, you have to figure out your own journey. You have a lot of guides along the way and you should be looking for those guides, but you cannot be dictated by them because you're, you are just living in a different life. And, you know, for me to hear this from my grandfather, who's, you know, an old man, who are, I think, typically not known for this kind of approach of like... Not ready for stuff. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> everyone not ready for anything. Yet. But yeah, so like, for me to hear that from my grandfather, I think was really, really important because I realized that you should be giving yourself that due credit. If you don't, right, you cannot reflect. I mean, it's but it's easy to not do that, right? It's easy to just say, I don't know this. I don't want to reflect. Uh, wait, I asked my teacher. And then you just follow your teacher blindly. But that's not going to help you grow even on a personal level. And it's definitely not going to help with the knowledge that you acquire either because you're just copy and pasting. There's no, there's no development there. I think that's kind of like really important, which I mean ties into what everyone else has been saying, right? That when you attend uh, interfaith or you attend any kind of thing that puts you out of your comfort zone, you, you do need to take some time and internalize and reflect on what you have learned and to synthesize that with what you already know. And hopefully do that in a, in a healthy and productive manner where you know, you're not using this new knowledge to destroy what has, what has been set up for you before, but to integrate it and to grow uh, synergistically. Mm. Big word, sorry. <laughs> well, together with this mm. new knowledge. Yeah? Mm. I, I'm going to throw the, the mic, not the mic, but um, the, the topic back to Afra because um, now that we're talking about... Um, Going into a unfriend, I don't know what's the word. What is the, what's the word you use? Uncomfortable environment, and then having to go back and then reflect. Right, there was a time in my life I was just telling Adam when we were walking here, um, that I was I was facing that. So it was very early on in my interfaith journey, and then I was at this event. Afra was also there, and she plays a part in this story, which is why I'm going to let her talk about it. <laughs> I don't even know whether she remembers this, but it's a very vivid memory of her that I still remember to today. So I was at an event, and then because I was still new into this interfaith thing, right? When I was listening to people's stories, my I could hear my brain constantly saying, "Eh, but that's not right. Eh, they are not right." Then, like you know, it's like it. My my mind is just not shut up. Like, and I'm supposed to be there, aware, listening, and giving. And then I couldn't figure out how to manage that so then i took a bus home with afra and no actually wasn't home it was to school because you stay in school and i was staying on campus and then i told her this and then she told me some really profound stuff so let's let's hear what afra remembers it and wow, whether she can tell it the same afra? way Share with us. i don't know if i can remember <laughs> the exact words that i said but i do remember the bus ride home and i do rem- we were sitting on the upper deck uh, on the top deck, sorry. I'm so used to talking about our school canteen as the upper deck. Um, we were sitting on the top deck and Hanisa, I think she asked me, how do you, how do you listen? Right? Was that, was that, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something along those lines. And I just, she may say that I said something profound, but I just, I was kind of shocked by the question because to me, it's always been a natural thing. Casual wisdom. but you know I like you said earlier I always have it in my mind that my intention of talking to people or going to dialogues is because I want to integrate whatever knowledge I already have of them and to build upon this knowledge 
Um, and so because I go in with that mentality, I know that I'm going to do that reflection later on. So it's already been inbuilt in my mind that when I'm there, I'm only supposed to listen. Um, of course, I do, I do listen to respond as well where necessary and where it's relevant. Um, but that's, that, that's the part where I make sure I shut off thoughts which say, no, you're not right, I disagree. If that happens, I will talk about it later because I don't want to disrupt that flow of people sharing their thoughts. Um, so yeah, I think just being a present listener is very important because a lot of the time we tend to listen to respond or to reply as opposed to listening to understanding. Right. Um, so you listen to understand first. Yes. In I this sessions in these kind of sessions and then after that i go back and i think about it (laughs) no no cursing i'm a very (laughs) peaceful person um but you know if i do have questions that arise after that then i contact the person again or i bring it up at a future session it's a very prim and proper like afra (laughs) first you thought i cursed now you think i'm prim and proper But yeah, that was, that was, it's that intention and the mentality that you have to set yourself to when you go to such events. Let's set up like a, like a workshop where Afra teaches us how to, how to listen mindfully and listen in the present. I mean, I think that it's a really important skill actually. It's something that, like, I mean, honestly, sometimes I struggle with when I'm listening to some things and I just go in my head like, are you serious? (laughs) But, I, I think you're right, actually. Like, that's not healthy. In fact, it's something that you should control, you know. And even if you disagree, to still be able to respectfully listen and let this person finish. And then, as you said, you know, like, disagree later or anything. But in the moment, to just be like, okay. I th- yeah, I think that's important. Thank you, actually, for reminding me right? of this Right, it's uh, profound, lesson. right? <laughs> Casual wisdom. <laughs> when she said that, I, I think she said it in just a similar way that she told me back then. She was like, listen, and then respond later. Lah. Like, she, she said, just don't understand them first. And I was, that was just so good. I don't know. <laughs> you know how to train this? Is uh, to have a podcast with four people, but with just two mics. So when you share... <laughs> <laughs> the one with no mic just you better listen first before you respond it's a good training actually <laughs> it is yeah so um, since we're talking about listening and then responding uh, another question would be um, how then for people who are who have obvious differences I don't know whether this makes sense you let me know whether it makes sense like okay it's all fine and dandy when you're in an environment where everyone's respectful you all want to talk and then it's like oh this is my experience um, but then you decide, you know. But then there are peop- there are environments where people are so obviously different, so obviously antagonistic. Well, how do you then face it? Like, oh, you are wrong. I'm right. It's my faith. Follow me. Or, or you are terrible for believing that you got no humanity, and I'm the only right one. How how do you deal with those kind of differences? I I think it really depends on. I mean, okay, maybe this is my personal approach, of course. Like, I think that there are different. Uh, things that you can do based on the desired outcome that you want. I mean, if you are just talking about certain things that I think are just out of the question. I mean, so if, for example, I think we, we talked about this briefly just now, about where do you draw the line between, like, in diversity? I mean, yeah, diversity is great. You know, we should be respectful. We should be mutually um, accepting. But what if somebody comes up to you and says something that is so out of the just 
it's, it's just madness to hear. How do you draw the line at that? So I think we talked the, like briefly before this podcast about things like maybe ISIS, those kinds of very violent ideology. I mean, you guys talked about this. Oh, sorry, you weren't here yet. So sorry, like sorry. before I appear at the mama store, you guys are talking uh, yeah. about ISIS. <laughs> I mean, sorry, uh, like, <laughs> I guess we're not really small talk. <laughs> okay, okay. But I mean, yeah, so, you know, where do you draw the line? If, if somebody comes up to me and tells me, kill the kafirs. Like, you know, I, like, uh, sorry, no, I'm not going to like, you know, lie on this kind of um, hateful speech. I think that we have to be aware that there are certain principles that people agree with. And in fact, I read this recently. It was, uh, I mean, I can't quote the person word by word and I can't even remember the person's name, sorry. But it, I mean, he's a modern philosopher, basically, and he argued that we cannot tolerate the intolerant. So his argument is basically that if somebody spews hatred, if somebody spew, doesn't agree to this bottom line of tolerance at least, you are not obliged to tolerate him. Because I think in his words, if we want to bring unprincipled uh, tolerance to its like logical conclusion and we want to follow through with it, we end up with we end up tolerating the intolerant. And you know, that's not constructive for anyone. But we have to be able to realize that there are certain things that are just out of the question in, in this uh, society. I mean, if somebody's going to come up to me, it doesn't have to be like uh, uh, Muslim-inspired violence, any kind of violence. If somebody comes up to me and tells me like this white supremacist stuff that's going on nowadays, you know, like, oh, we should be killing the Muslims because, uh, because they are the enemy. What like, no. Mus- what if the Muslims are white? I mean, let's not go there. <laughs> but I mean, I, th- I think the point is just that, you know, we... It doesn't matter, whatever ideology it is. If it is inherently destructive, it's inherently intolerant, we shouldn't be tolerating it. And so one of these aims, you know, when we when we hear fundamentally different perspectives is don't tolerate that. And of course, this I think comes down to EQ also, lah, person interpersonal skills that some people like me may lack sometimes. But if you hear this kind of thing, you can either choose to ignore it by, you know, just not fanning the flame and just hoping that it dies down if you know that you're not equipped to deal with these kinds of views. But even if you try to approach it, I think you have to be very tactful. Like, you have to still realize that this is still a human being. Your ideology may be, like, whack, but you're still a human being and I should approach you maybe independently outside of this situation and then try to figure out like why why do you say these things, and is there some way that I can uh, not necessarily bring you over to this side, but just to let you hear and understand humanity a bit better. Like I just I don't know why I keep seeing all these things on my Facebook. I saw um, another video about a white supremacist terrorist, and I think this was the U.S. He was a Marine. He I mean this was a, like a video interview. So he talked about how he wanted to blow up an Islamic center in uh, the US. And then he said that something happened uh, and he turned into a Muslim himself. So I mean, of course, that ideology of let's blow up the Muslims, that, that shouldn't be tolerated. Like, full stop. That just shouldn't be tolerated. But the person espousing this ideology is not, well, hopefully not entirely evil. You know, maybe he was he was shaped by his own experiences, but because, I mean, thank God, something happened in his life where his, I think it was his child, basically, um, 
brought to his attention that these are these are people you know these are not just muslims these are human beings these are people and when he realized that he went down to the islamic center without the bomb and then um made friends and from there he i think like over a course of eight weeks he said that he became muslim himself so i think that's that's one uh kind of like method i guess that we should approach if let's say we're dealing with ideologies that are just out of whack like you cannot bring yourself to respect it because you yourself are a self-respecting person you cannot bring yourself to respect this kind of ideology that's just hateful and intolerant but uh otherwise i think training yourself your ego i mean if this ideology is i mean different but not really saying like let's kill the these people let's punch these people let's burn their churches and burn their mosques then it's about ego then i think if that's kind of where the line is drawn i would think myself like if it involves violence if it involves demonizing a population you you cannot let that slip but if it's not if it's just something that's you know like i mean i like nasilama no what is this like then maybe it's the ego speaking and i think that goes like to one's point about training yourself to be able to realize okay i mean i'm really uncomfortable with you liking nasilama but eh, maybe i try lah eh? maybe i reflect later Yeah, for me, when it comes to like, um, we are talking about the the hateful stuff, right? Like really, just so uh, offensive and stuff like that. My principle in life: hurt people, hurt people in pain, put others in pain. Um, and that is also one reflection that I I learn from uh, you know dealing with all these diversity kind of issues, including interfaith, because um, it's about empathy. You know, it's about Uh, putting yourself in other shoes it's about uh when you know others you know yourself as well so you and others just now uh Darren shared about how this guy humanized the muslim right so that's what we get from interfaith conversation or interfaith activities that these people of other faith they're actually just humans like us so when we humanize it's easier for us to you know the the sayings that treat your believers i mean believers are mirror to each other like to see see us as the same or to treat other believers like how you like to be treated because you is me me is you it's easier we are on the same level and that is uh, when i think the empathy comes and when you are able to empathize um for me i make it a point that you know uh, whatever things that you experience negative things that you experience from negative people is because they are in a maybe negative environment i'm not justifying so for example um, the recent christchurch attack we have a lot of remembrances in singapore especially in the interfaith community right it's just good time to preach about social harmony <laughs> i'm going to get arrested after this um, but uh, it's it's i think for me my question is okay fine yes but can you are you able to empathize with this white guy who killed 50 people are you able to do that what made him like you say what made him into this guy who killed i'm not saying uh, it's okay to kill no let's let's go let's arrest him what well, i'm not justifying but i'm more interested in seeing how he got there and i think that is uh, what what empathy is all about uh, it's about understanding that you can also be like that you know one day if you are also experiencing the same kind of processes like what he experienced and yeah hurt people hurt so whenever you think people offend you say bad stuff about your prophet or just bear in mind that you know what you are higher in that than that as as egoistic as it sounds but yeah they they 
are in a position where they're just so hateful. And that's why I think good example, I think, for us Muslims is uh, what Rasulullah experienced in Taif, right? These people throw stones at him and, uh, you know, bleeds him. But he didn't blame them. He, he, he internalized it. He, he put it on himself and he prays for goodness for them, right? So essentially, it, because I think he understood that these people knows nothing, right? So yeah, hurt people hurt. I mean, I'm a HR person. I deal with all kind of peoples every day. So some people are just so annoying and because they are annoying, right? They are annoying. So yeah, just just have that ability to to empathize. But I'm I'm not going toler I'm not going to tolerate it. Sure. We we shouldn't. We have boundaries, but now we understand. Now we know better. And when we know better, we do better. Yeah, I completely agree. Agree with both of them. I think that when we are faced with people who have completely different worldviews or opinions from us, whether or not they are antagonistic or violent, um, it's very easy for us to want to just run away from it or not engage it, right? Because that's that's the easy way out. But I don't think that we should do that. Um, I think that our role is not only to show them the humanity of the people who whom they are um, criticizing or... or or directing their hate speech towards, but it's also our responsibility, like one says, to try and understand where their thoughts originate from. Why do they think the way that they think? You know, what what are they reading that's making them think this way? What kind of society do they do they live in? It's very important for us to understand why people think the way they think. Um, and so when we understand that, I think, like he says, we do better, right? So when we understand why people think like this, when we engage with similar people in the future, it might be easier for us to to make take baby steps to change that and to make a difference. And I think that's another thing that's very important in interfaith efforts is that idea of baby steps. Um, we may think that, you know, having one best friend who is of a different religion from us makes no difference to the world of diversity or coming to interfaith dialogues feel-good interfaith dialogues um, makes no difference, right? Because it doesn't change anything. But I think it does. Even if it's not an obvious change, I think the very fact that you can come together, because you can't do this even in Malaysia. You talked about Indonesia and India, but just think about Malaysia. It's also very difficult, you know, to be seen with others. You guys are acting very political. Yeah, well, you know, as as Malaysians, we're very aware of the of this of what's going on there. It's 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 only natural. Um, but yeah, baby steps. Just realize that everything that you do in engaging with anybody who is different from you makes a difference. And as cliche as it sounds, it makes the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. and I, I want to emphasize one point. It's also because we used to be like that. I think now we are singing the same tune, right? We are so-called interfaith, self-aware, that kind of thing. We forgot we used to be like that as well. So, yeah, I mean, chill a bit because if when we were at that point of time, also we, we hate people who are not so chill, right? When it comes to like, when we were not so conscious about the importance of interfaith, the importance of empathy. What are you talking about? You mean what? I mean, my religion is not enough yet. You know what I'm saying? So, Understand that we are all we are all this in the same kind of journey, and what matters is our journey definitely. So a lot of these lessons you always have to bring it back to your your own life, your own reflection, internalize it. Um, yeah. So don't don't forget that as interfaith activists, I think um, I included always uh, see negatively to people who just 
don't understand. Why you don't understand? You're living in a plural society, in a multiracial. Why you just don't understand? Why you don't tolerate? Why you don't un- yeah, right? But well, we used to be like that also one time. So yeah, uh, again back to the ego and self check. Yeah, uh, back uh, back to empathy. Yeah. We have so much wisdom in this podcast. <laughs> okay. Have you di- have you guys like decided on a name? Yet? <laughs> I, I, I suggest like podcast of wisdom. But actually, I mean, I I love how you know we went from thinking, thinking, and then to thinking about ourselves, thinking, and then to thinking about how other people think. I think I I mean I don't know what the next logical uh, step is, but I think yeah I I really agree with what you guys have said, and in fact thank you so much one for that reminder you know, like. Even people who have, uh, in that sense, matured in their journey, like cannot, should not forget their, um, what's it called, their origins and how they started, because it it may end up uh, being, uh, it may end up backfiring lah. Basically, we end up losing that very empathy that we say is so important, right? But um, on that note, I do think that, you know, as much as we we, I, I mean, in fact, we we did say this, right? That. There are we should appreciate baby steps, and this is something that everyone should do. But I mean, maybe I come at this from like it's it's the same point, but maybe from a slightly different angle that everyone should take baby steps that are congruent with where they are. You know, like um, I would think that people who had and completely new, or someone who has completely grown up in their own bubble, their baby step is just one friend. Don't even friend like acquaintance that you have like lunch with, but for people who have kind of um worked on these issues and are aware of these issues, I think that the baby steps need to be larger. It's still baby steps, but the baby steps need to be larger, based on just where they are in life. Because I mean, as m- maybe this sounds like a bit like you know uh, gender driven or whatever, but at the end of the day, I think. The any society does require uh, a people, a group of people who are able to push the boundaries just that little, so that we can develop and so that we can progress. Because I mean, if if everyone's baby steps were equally small, like I mean, you know, Christchurch is gonna take over the world. But I think yeah, like just so many reminders actually. Like I'm I'm so grateful for what you guys have been saying because it's true we need to remember that we need uh, that we started out so we can understand because I, I find this uh, happening to, to myself sometimes I look at some events and I think to myself like but this is what does this do this is feel good only but you know like, like you said this can be a baby step for someone it may not be for me but I think that's fair there's a place in everything for you know uh, in, in society so People like us, um, who maybe are a bit more um, experienced, not maybe not advanced, but just experienced, yeah, we should aim for higher, but at the same time, without necessarily saying that everyone needs to be at the same level at this exact point in time. Interesting. So, if I can ask uh, each and every one of you, what what is your quote unquote interfaith goal in in twenty nineteen? What would that be? What is that? Small baby face for the experience. Why like you are you my all. moderator? I feel like I don't need to sit here and moderate. <laughs> With me, I've been questioning it a lot, and actually, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you guys is because I've been wondering it for a while. Like, like you said, like because everyone has their own, uh, 
what what's the word you use? Suddenly my brain just poof. Um, situation, problem, time in life. Okay, basically yeah, own that, right? Own place yeah. in life. And then so I'm seeing like a lot of to me a lot of the interfaith events now are very feel good. So I don't I don't go because I'm like I I don't I. I don't think it will help me. It's not. It's for others, yes, but not for me. So then I don't know where my place is when it comes to doing more interfaith stuff. But recently, <laughs> I I went for an interfaith thing, uh, just last week, and I think that might be my baby steps for now. And because the interfaith event, um, was a so the. Biblical school of graduate school of theology. The there were some um adults there, and they wanted to visit, uh, Balwi Mosque. Mm, and then so a friend of mine, uh, he, uh, he he wanted to bring them to the mosque, and then he said he needed like Muslim friends to come, uh, and interact with them because essentially bring them to the mosque, right? And then I think what put me to go there was the awareness that one, I'm already comfortable in interface settings two if i'm already comfortable then i can um make closer connections with the people who are already there and and that's why i went so maybe that's my baby step right now finding the more intimate gatherings that might be uncomfortable to other people and then i go there and do that yeah so that's me um i don't know you see my problem or rather my outlook on life is that i don't really set this might become as a terrible information to people, but I don't really set goals in that sense. I'm more of a take it as it comes kind of person. Yeah, don't judge me. Um, no, no, no. We all have. Our <laughs> but you know, I agree with this whole thing about how a lot of us experienced um, interfaith advocates, like we say, we need to move beyond or take a step beyond these feel good events. I agree, it's important, but like you said, for some people. A feel good event is their very first exposure to to an interfaith um, uh, engagement, and myself, at least, being experienced in facilitating such events, I do think that even if I do attend it, even if it's not for me and it's not going to be beneficial to me in that sense, in terms of my own um, interfaith understanding, but it's important and fulfilling for me because, like you said, you get to help others, right? Um, take their first steps into this kind of engagement. I think that's important and I would continue to do that. And also, um, a bit of a side note. So this semester, I'm teaching a module on Islam. Islam in contemporary Malay society. And most of my students are non-Muslims, right? This is a general education module. And so at the beginning of the semester, I asked them, why are you taking this module? Typical question. Many of them, most of them, said they're doing it just to clear their general education requirements. Hardly any of them said it's um, because they want to learn more about Islam. Um, but along the semester, it's been 11 weeks, and I've realized that they are so enthusiastic when they ask their questions. And I realized that there really is this genuine interest in wanting to know more. And so I think that's my, and I'm probably teaching this again, again next semester. So I think that's my current, um, not goal, but that's, that's my current purpose in being able to facilitate this enthusiasm in wanting to learn about my religion. And I think it helps that I'm a Muslim and that I'm, I'm their tutor. 
Um, and it also reinforces or reminds me that even though I'm Muslim and I think these things make sense to me, why do they have so much difficulty? Like you said, right? Why do people have so much difficulty understanding that they're in a plural society? Then I'm thinking, why is it so difficult for you to understand this basic thing about the religion? So it, it reminds me to check my ego as well. Um, but yeah. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> I mean, really? We are turning into an Oprah show kind of thing. Beautiful story that's going to continue next semester, guys. So if any yes, of you yes. are in NUS studying, sign, sign up, up sign for Afra's lesson. What's it called? Of course, it's going away, but Islam in Islamic contemporary Malaysia. Malaysia society. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, for me, uh, more tangibles. Uh, because I tend to go uh, subjective, right? So I, I'm trying to like, okay, what, what, so what, what, what are the things that you have to see? Last year, my goal was really to uh, visit the Christian denominations uh, in, in Singapore, like all the different... The beauty about Singapore is that it's so small, it's so concentrated, uh, so it's easy to meet everyone um, within a short period of time. So last year during Good Friday, we visited... Uh, under Roses of Peace um, with the other ambassadors we wrote uh, good greetings for Good Friday and Easter Sunday and we emailed to 450 religious leaders Christian leaders in Singapore why we emailed is because that was the period of time when we had the you know the parliamentary sitting the select committee on online falsehood so we just want to make a point uh, online falsehood uh, these days are about using that online platform to spread negativity right so we want to use online platform the same online platform that they use to spread positivity so to, to spread uh, good greetings so that's why we emailed them but of course we also want to meet so we met seven church leaders of uh, different denominations uh, in, in Singapore we met the Archbishop William Go from the Catholic Church um, Bishop the Methodist Bishop the Anglican Bishop the uh, Assemblies of God the uh, who else the Lutheran bishop, uh, some members of the Presidential Council of Religious Harmony. Uh, we met even um, one from the Independent Church, uh, from New Christian Church. So, just to give the the letter and also to discuss uh, closed door about what do they see um, the the community, you know, the this interfaith kind of thing. How do they view it? What do they think about it? What do they respond on it? You know, this kind of thing. Um, yeah. So that was I would say my goal last year this year um i'm trying to understand to know right we were talking about knowing others i'm trying to know those who are maybe not so big in terms of numbers we're talking about jainism we're talking about uh, zoroastrianism we're talking about uh, sikhism we're talking about uh, judaism yes small but um I'm more into Abrahamic, right? So much earlier on, I already had the experience of learning about the Torah and stuff and visited the synagogues. But more on the Dharmic side of things. Um, so recently, we went to Baha'i Faith. It was amazing. It was just a good experience. Quite light in terms of as a religion. So a lot of the people ask, so what's the religion about? It's very, it's very um, less in terms of dogma kind of thing, which we were so used to in religion. It's more like... A, um, Frankly, I feel like in, in, in a United Nation kind of sharing <laughs> about poverty. or But then you can appreciate um, how, I mean, the, the, the concept of the religion itself, where they're coming from. I think that's, that's, that's what's more important, you know. Um, and yeah, we went to Sikhism. Uh, they had Khalsa Week recently and then just uh, the temple and everything. So I think that, that's my goal for, for this year, uh, the minority people. Um, or even the marginalized or people who are excluded 
if I can say, say for example, the Ahmadi, um, if we are talking about Christian community, we are talking about, say, um, the Mormon, maybe, you know, those who say, oh, maybe they are not us, they are not, you know, I'm more interested in that. Again, what is the objective to all people who are wondering, oh, this guy is just not, not, not secured, you know, just looking around. Not really. It's really about knowing others, but at the same time after that is to know yourself, to check again, to bring it, to bring it back to you um, in terms of the reflection and internalization. So I have a list of the places that I want to go and also the people who I want to watch or who I want to follow. And these people are people who I think I don't agree with them. Scholars, right? I think they are of that too liberal or too literal or too Sufi or too Salafi. But I, I, I put their names and I want to go to their classes and to again to know where they're coming from. And you know what? Uh, maybe I will benefit from them. I'm surely will benefit. And maybe I will change as well. Who knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> People got scared of me. Like, oh, he's going to convert to something else. But you know what? Allah is the ultimate guide. Uh, ultimate guide. I mean, if you really sincerely seek um, the truth, right? I mean, he, he will guide you. If you want to put you astray, even if you don't seek, if you, do, if you don't join interfaith, you will also go astray. So, you know, chill a bit i think wow i think i think my personal um uh objectives i guess are, are quite different i think that they come from a very different uh point like i am th the questions that that um bother me the most don't actually involve myself in the sense that it's not actually for me personally it's not about just knowledge for myself or um spreading the knowledge necessarily it's actually about how is this community uh, I mean start small uh, Singapore how is this community going to live and going to coexist like 30 years down the road I mean I know you say this year but you know sorry uh, my, my, I, I, I really have been thinking about this like really long term because I have a friend from um, a long-standing inter-religious organization. I basically just said his name, IRO. <laughs> la. I have a friend from IRO uh, who, who shared with me the history of this organization. Singapore was the first in the world to have an organization like this. And it's like, what, 70 years? They recently had their 70-year anniversary. That is not a long time. They started like, Johor, though. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was called the Oh, right. Mm. True that. But the started organization, by Indian you know? guy as well. As in, like, not yes, Singaporean, yes. but, like, Indian, yeah. Indian. Maulana um, uh, Siddiq. Siddiq. Yes, yes. So, um, so, 70 years, I mean, they had their 70th anniversary. And, you know, for some people, it's, wow, it's been so long. But for me, it's like, oh, my God, it's been only 70 years. Like, we have not, as a, as a society, as a species or whatever, we have not learned how to to most efficiently deal with interfaith uh, communities. You know, I mean, we Singapore, maybe on small scales, right, across history, maybe with small scales, like we have different uh, big civilizations interacting, maybe on like a slower scale. But I mean, like we are, what's it called? VUCA, is it? This new world that they see? VUCA, right? Like, it's 2019. You have like 10, 10 uh big and, and recognized religions in such a small space and more are coming in all the time. And to me, this just means like, okay, so we don't know exactly. We don't know what's the most optimal way of uh, dealing with 
an interreligious or interracial or basically just a diverse society with diversity at this scale. So to me, it's about working towards that, working towards this ideal state where we can, uh, I mean, not necessarily become homogenous, but uh, in fact, hopefully not become homogenous, but at the same time, remain able to live together harmoniously. And for me, like, it's, it's, it's the most worrying when I hear friends from, let's say, Turkey telling me about what's happening in Turkey with like this rise of uh, the, the neo, uh, neo-caliphate type of uh, rhetoric. My friends from India telling me about this Hindutva um, phenomenon. Around the world, basically, there's a lot of uh, sectarian hatred, uh, interreligious hatred. And so to me, this interfaith, like it's, it's also goal-oriented in this sense, but the goal is not for myself. The goal is for like the community, whatever community needs to learn how to manage these diversities properly. And because we have, none of us have actually come up with like the ideal model. So it's about constantly working towards that model. I mean, this is me lah, personally. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think one thing that has become very a source of frustration for me with regard to how interfaith is talked about in Singapore. So it's not just about figuring out how you want to um, deal with it, but it's also about figuring out why you are involved in it in the first place, right? What is the, the reason that you are doing it? And so... This is what I wrote my, my history thesis on. I talked about the IRO and how it was the first interreligious organization and how they were more community driven in that sense. But now, if you look at Singapore, if you look at the way interfaith is being talked about, it's completely for security, right? It's about Singaporeans need to get to know one another because once we get hit by a terrorist attack, all hell is going to break loose. And this is why you should be talking to each other because of a impending terrorist attack, which I think completely takes away the essence from interreligious dialogue. You should be... I mean, yes, it's important, of course, and the and the terror threat is real, being such a tiny country. Yeah, in case you're listening, uh, ISD. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, 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 it's sad that this seems to be the only reason... This is going to be the last podcast session, I think, of Al-Qudu Academy. It's, it's really sad that this is the only reason that the government is promoting interreligious dialogue because of security. The whole thing has become securitized and I think the everyday person just won't... Um, can't relate to that. I think we need to realize the wider goal or the wider purpose of getting to know somebody who is different from us. Don't I give one example, I think. Um, uh, before they think this Malaysian trying to delve into <laughs> internal <laughs> politics. <laughs> uh, example, so we started our work in uni, right? Um, and then in university, we had this interfaith uh, community engagement uh, network, CEP, Community Engagement Program Network. Uh, we were the second batch of pioneers. So our seniors was the first first one when they started it. And of course, we know CEP coming from where, um, MN, M- MHA and everything, right? But the, the the sense that the leaders, the youth leaders got it is as if it's like being pushed to us um, from top down. After I was mentioning about more community driven. So in our first few meetings, we don't understand why we came together, why we had to collaborate in the first place. So forget about collaboration. We just don't understand why we should be having time together i mean we already have events um, from our own societies why do we need to collaborate so you know to compare top-down kind of approach and and more ground up more community driven so that's just an example so it's actually affecting how um, certain organizations deal with interfaith project 
or deal with this diversity kind of project. Um, yeah, we do it out of uh, because we have to do it, right? Rather than because we really want to know, because we really want to, uh, and the results will be different. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, hopefully. <laughs> um, and well, honestly, my last outline for this was what is the end goal? I feel like we've talked about goals. Um, so I don't know. How do you guys want to end it? Do you want it to be about, I don't know, what's what's the, I, I, I feel like maybe you guys talked about snippets of it. But what's the end goal doing in the faith? I'm very optimistic. Um, Darren mentioned about VUCA, right? So, Kanisa. I, I googled is, it. You, so, you volatile, know now? Uh, let me see. Yeah, so volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Chaotic I mean, and lots, ambiguous. Lots of things can happen yeah. these days, right? Um, we are getting more polarized as, as a global, uh, in a global stage. Countries are getting more. Um, you know, talking about national interests only, you know, that kind of thing. So I think for me, uh, this is where Singapore can be a role model, no matter how imperfect we are, uh, how a lot, a lot of other things can be done to make sure that we really understand one another as a multiracial, multireligious society. But we can't also deny that compared to other countries, we are good. But cannot shock sendiri lah. Cannot uh, just feeling good ourselves. I think just look at this region, South Asia, we definitely, as, a, as the most religiously diverse country in the world, and still be safe. I mean, I can hate you, but I can, I can just tolerate you. At, at least we don't kill each other. Yeah? But, I mean, let, let's just put that as a goal. Let, let's not just uh, uh, kill each other or be violent with each other or, or you know... Even verbally, don't be violent yeah. verbally. It's, it's fine if you don't hate each other. I mean, it's fine if you still hate or you don't understand, but let's just go, uh, don't go physical, right? I think looking at this region, we can, we can be a role model in terms of uh, whatever things we do in Singapore, can we replicate it into and adjust into a different context so that others, our neighbours, can learn from there uh, as well. And I think, yeah, we are on that track. Um, the Christchurch remembrance, you know, we bring all these New Zealanders come here and, you know, in a way trying to preach, hey, look at Singapore, you know. I mean, we may experience that too, but Alhamdulillah, we have not. And this is what we did. And then, and in the same seat, uh, in the same settings of all different kind of religious leaders, it's it's an experience that other countries have to learn as well. So that's linking back to Darren' points about community. Yes, uh, interfaith is is your individual journey, but then after that is what, right? So I hope Singapore can be uh, a role model in, a, in, in, in at a global stage. Uh, be more vocal when it comes to that. Be more uh, vocal and critical when it comes to, you know, at, say in the international politics kind of stage. Um, I want to see Singapore leaders to, no, we don't tolerate that kind of rhetoric, that kind of uh, polarized rhetoric. We don't go there, no matter whether that's our allies or that's our, uh, not our allies, you know, that kind of thing. So more leaders to speak up that, no, we do not, we do not even our Muslim leaders or religious scholars in Singapore. We often have this view that oh, we often look at the religious scholars from Muslim majority countries who tend to see things differently. But I, I hope that our religious scholars in Singapore can be uh, even more louder, even louder in saying um, yes, but that's not the Singapore way, and it has been a successful way. This, 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 this. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because they will, they will easily say, yeah, you know what, you're in a secular country, you're in a minority, different thing. But I think the idea is not that. The idea is just to see uh, these are some models and the model that Singapore uses, 
can be replicated inshallah in others just to maintain that peace so this might sound wrong but to me there is no end goal because if you say that there is an end goal it kind of implies that once you achieve something then it stops there but with interfaith i think it should be a constant effort because the reality is as human beings we don't have absolute knowledge right we are never going to know everything about anything so to us for us our responsibility is to constantly strive and to make that effort to always get to know and there will never be an end to it so to me there's no end goal it's rather the goal of continuously um striving i agree with that but i actually think of that as my end goal in the sense that you know my end goal is uh, is an ideal and my end goal is that we end up in a world where we don't have crazy people shooting other people because they belong to different tribes because they belong to different cultures and uh, i think so basically at the end of the day it's just for again community it's just for the world to be a better place for everyone i mean except the <laughs> Not them as a person, but ex- except for intolerant ideologies. So I think that's my angle. But at the same time, I'm painfully aware of the fact that it's it's unattainable. And it, we can only keep trying and striving to reach there. But I think somebody gave me a very good um, hadith about uh, how the Prophet once mentioned. Uh, something about a seed even before the end of time. Oh, right? it's like so if environmental. You have a seed in your hand, I like it. I mean, environmental, but the spirit is there, right? Keep trying, even if you know that it's not going to work or even if it's going to be in vain. I mean, like you plant a seed only, it's not even going it, to gain its first drop of water if Kiyama is coming, like, you know, the, sec- the second right after that. But still, plant it, you know? You may know that this is a lofty ideal that you cannot reach. Still, try. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I would say my personal end goal, now that I'm hearing from all of you guys, would be, it does sound like an end goal that's not end, but then the because I'm very I would say humanitarian driven, so my I feel like if you could just get all the different people of different faiths or just differences together to do fundamental good things that you don't have to argue about, like if people had so many different resources and got together to feed the poor, they got together to um give goodness where it's due to protect the people who are disadvantage and whose rights are taken away from them that's good enough that that just balances the world from where it's supposed to be yeah and so that's it doesn't even have to be like a interfaith dialogue you have different faiths okay but you want to do good together then do it that's that's essentially what i feel would eventually be wonderful yeah and so if we're gonna wrap it up we um i guess you also have to consider people who are like not into interfaith um if you are listening and you have not been to interfaith the entire time i don't know why you listen to us the entire time (laughs) but if you did um what what would we say to them yeah baby steps (laughs) Remember remember the baby steps, you know. If you have been living in your own bubble up to this date, that's fine. You don't have to feel guilty about that. No, there's nothing wrong, you know. There's just how many a times our societies are structured. But now that you know, alhamdulillah, you've been like placed in this situation where you're listening to this, then go and make a friend. You know, like just small efforts. And if you are slightly more advanced already, you have friends, you know. Maybe you have a Christian friend, maybe you have a Jewish friend. You know that they're Christian, but then it's like, ah, I don't really like to talk about these kind of things because it makes me uncomfortable. Ah, I just want to have lunch with you. Then maybe find one day and say, 
why don't we talk about something uh, you know safe maybe but why don't we talk about something that is directly in relation to our our cultures to our traditions and start with something small start with something simple and just go like oh, what do you think about um you know uh, pro- prophethood maybe I don't know. Maybe that's, that's a big. Like that's heavy. A, that's maybe very that's heavy. heavy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. That's heavy. Maybe something about food. You know, why? What? What do you think about uh, the food that we eat? Dietary laws or anything? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm bad at giving these examples, but just something small. Um, you start off with no friends. You make friends. You have friends. You go into deeper conversation with friends. You have deeper conversation with friends about simple topics. You go into deeper topics, and if you do that, then come and join us, lah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's. Um, I agree with him and I and I think um what Hanisa mentioned earlier because I think we tend to always think that interfaith is just about an interfaith panel, right? Um or coming together to sit in a formal dialogue session, but it's not just that. So she says there are also efforts or um initiatives in which you just come together and do something for the greater good of humanity. So one thing Hanisa and I did together was we went to um uh pick up litter at East Coast Park, right? A few years ago with a, I think it was organized by a Buddhist temple and a mosque. I don't remember, but you know, simple things like that. It maybe to people like us, maybe it seems this doesn't make a difference because you're not actually talking about anything, but in certain parts of the world or even anywhere, just the image of people of different religions coming together to do something can be very impactful. So to people who have not, who have not been into interfaith at all, I think just tiny things like this, just doing something simple together can be um, very moving. For me, I want to shake the mind a little bit. Um, If you are not in interfaith, I would say you are already in interfaith. (laughs) I mean, because we have been discussing about what interfaith is about, right? What we feel as someone who are in interfaith activities is about knowing others, is about knowing yourself after that. So it's about empathy and after that we reflect, we internalize. And yeah, diversity is the reality. Yes, interfaith talks about uh, the different, the diversity of religion, but we also have a lot of other kind of diversity uh, in our life. So, and knowing others, knowing yourself, empathy and then self-reflection is essentially what we are going to do, right? Um, Be it, about gender, I mean, now the hot topic is about social class. How do you understand people who are from down there or people who are from up there? Why do they do not want to pay tax? You got to empathize as well. I mean, you, you have been <laughs> radical. Well, yeah, you, you can say, you can say, you know, like, oh, these people, rich kid, do not understand. Well, they have been born there, right? In such a, so everything, all diversity. I mean, dealing with people, different kind of personalities. It's the same kind of skills, the same kind of essence. So I would say you have been doing it, but maybe in f- not in faith, but maybe in other aspects, like maybe intra or maybe, you know, like different uh, schools of uh, jurisprudence, Islamic jurisprudence, like different schools. Maybe that is your diversity kind of uh, stuff. But essentially, it's all about the same thing. So I would invite you, let's try the faith one this time, which is the interfaith one. Yep. I would, I would also add in that... Um, a lot of people, I think, come in with fears or like, oh, what if I'm uncomfortable? What if I get converted? Blah, 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 right? Um, let me just say that it is going to be uncomfortable. Uh, I remember when I first did it, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but that's okay. And it should be okay. Um, in fact, 
um, if I would give you a caveat to want to go and do this is if you're not comfortable, you're not going to grow. You want to achieve big things for yourself. Throw yourself in this uncomfortable environment, even if it's really small, like we are talking about baby step. And just just sit with the discomfort. Lah. And, and, and if you really don't know anything, just say you don't know. It's fine. You can just sit there and say, uh, I know you're antagonizing me, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. And then just, just like Afra said, be present, present listening. Um, like one said, to be challenging people, but also, um, and like Adam said, be open. So hopefully that will be a good ending for today. Thank you so much, guys, for coming together and talking about this. Thank you, Anissa. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and um, if you guys have been uh, listeners, if you like what you're hearing, um, there are more episodes on volume. <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, and thank you. Assalamualaikum. Bye-bye.